0: I remember a number of years ago, uh, when my father was still at home with my mom, uh, I had a conversation with my dad, just the two of us, which was extremely rare. My dad is a is a is a, a tremendous talker. He loves to tell stories. He um, when he is surrounded by people, he's always the center of attention. Um, but. He was very much struggling with these one-on-one personal conversations, and if I look back, I only had, in my life, just a few of them, and I remember almost every like one-on-one conversation that I had with my dad, and normally um, he wasn't available for that kind of stuff. Um, he wanted an audience, not, um, not a partner in the conversation. But during that conversation, he was already struggling with some health issues. Uh, my father always had um, health related issues because of his lifestyle. Um, he was a, a very hard worker um, he worked he had several jobs he uh He was a teacher and he's a um, a law professor where has has been a law professor He worked as a a judge and he worked for a number of years also. ...as a chancellor of um, of one of the Dutch dioceses. Um, But he was always stressing out about his work. Um, I I can barely remember a time that he didn't work. So that was not the most healthy example. Um, But also in terms of his general health... ...he actually really never um, worked on his physical health. He was uh, very often super stressed... Um He drank way more than was healthy, and uh, also his his eating behavior was not uh was not, not the most balanced, especially he loved his salt. he always put so much salt on uh on his food so I think that that lifestyle that he maintained for many years ultimately gave him trouble. Uh, at an advanced age, and one of the issues when we had that conversation was that he uh, he had um, his toes were starting to die literally um, so the the tiny blood vessels were getting clogged up, and so his foot was getting all black and he had trouble walking, and they were my mom and he were looking at at you know, possible interventions. Um, but anyway, he, was, he, he realized that time was catching up on him to a certain extent. And, uh, and so we had this very rare conversation about, about death. And I asked him, um, are you afraid that this may, end, this may not end well? And he didn't say anything. This was not the first time that we discussed this. And when he would talk about uh, death, because of course both of my parents were uh, approaching their 80s, he was very well aware that he had outlived both his parents for more than a decade. Both his parents also um, lived a, a reasonably unhealthy life and some of the behavior that I saw with my dad I think it was uh, what also did a lot of harm to his parents in their lifestyle. Uh, we always inherit a lot of the <laughs> of the things of our parents including sometimes the bad habits. Um, so knowing very well that he outlived both his parents he whenever the topic came up, he would joke about it. My dad was very good at deflecting things that he struggled with by using humor. It's a coping mechanism, which I have to admit is also part of my arsenal of tools that I use when I'm in awkward situations or I want to deflect uh, other people's behavior or I want to somehow step away from my own overwhelming emotions, and I use humor. So, in the past, whenever we we talked about health and and death, uh, there was always this kind of rationalization with a joke, like, oh my gosh, it's going to be terrible because I'm going to meet all these people up there that I've been in fights with, (laughs) and, you know, I'm going to be stuck with them for eternity this time. So he would laugh it away. And uh, other times he would... Have a certain bravado. I'm not, I'm not afraid of death. Why should I? I'm a Catholic and I go to confession, so I have nothing to fear. And I don't understand all these people who, who talk about that. You know, it's just part of life. And and then you just make another joke and discussion over. But this time we were talking one on one, and I said, you know, how do you feel? Because this doesn't look good. And uh, what if things go wrong or if this continues to degrade? You may end up in a wheelchair and at one point it's going to be over. <laughs> and he said, I'm, I'm very afraid. And he was dead serious, which was also really new. I, I, I had barely had a conversation like that with my dad. And so I asked him a follow-up question. Um, I said, so how do you... How do you envision your your funeral if that if that day comes and we know it it's coming? What do you want? He never told us what he wanted. Um, I just knew that he didn't like all the pomp and circumstance that some of his um, acquaintances had organized around the death of a of a loved one. And uh, and then he said, "I don't know. I just." I don't want anyone to make a fuzz about it. I, I want it to be simple. I know speeches. And uh, I want it to be sober. Uh, I don't know, just Gregorian chant or none of that. I don't want big speeches and people just making a whole deal out of it. Um, and that was that was what I remember of that conversation. And I always like kept that in the back of my mind. Um, and so over the years because this was i don't know maybe 4 years ago before the pandemic um, i kind of sometimes went back to that moment to that conversation and i tried to imagine what would i do um how would that how would we how would we organize this uh, the day that we all know is going to be there at one point and you know it's it's better to be a bit prepared so in my mind it was like well maybe we should have a small celebration a mass or something like that and Yeah, why not? Just have some Gregorian chant and I I ask myself, am I going to preside at that funeral? (laughs) Or will I be overwhelmed by grief and uh, is it better that someone else does it who is, is a little bit more at a distance of the situation? I never really decided about that, but I kept it open. I knew that... It's it's very unpredictable. As a priest, of course, I have done countless, countless funerals and uh, have been in situations where people were grieving the death of a father or a mother or even a child in tragic situations. And in those cases, I know that it's never the same. Every person's grief is different. And there would be times that you would have a certain perception of a person who died, or a family, and then it turns out that actually there's much more going on that you didn't know of, and there are lots of struggles within that family, and sometimes there is no reconciliation before uh, the de- or around the death of a person, and and then you are in this situation, where as a as a priest, as a pastor, you have to be kind of the objective leader in that having no stakes in whatever conflict is uh, at the root of this division. In that family, uh, you are the one who proposes, well, let's do this, why don't we do this? And and you just take it as it is. Sometimes you would have these very emotional funerals where everybody was leaning on one another, and you could tap into that. If you would uh, preach, you would say, you know, this is a hard time for all of you, but... At least you have one another, you, you can pray for the deceased, and um, whenever you, you uh, take care of one another in these difficult days, know that God is, is there with you, and um, uh, the shoulder that you want to lean on, that's in fact, that's God's shoulder, shoulder. You have a lot of these metaphors and ways of speaking to still kind of work in any situation, and sometimes if uh, there was a lot of um, uh, division in a family, and fortunately that didn't happen that much, you would just keep it very formal and uh, knowing very well that that too is sometimes a way to objectivize things and to um, help people to live through those difficult moments um, by proposing something that is And that's the strength, I think, of Catholic liturgy. It's not always like super personal. It's not really necessary to always praise a deceased person, um, even though you know in the back of your mind, well, you know, not everybody may actually agree with this. No, the liturgy is what it is. You preach about death, about a God who is merciful at the same time. We are also responsible for the way we live our lives, and so uh, Jesus is very clear that there, at one point, there's going going to be a some kind of reckoning in the sense that our behavior will be weighed. And um, it's not like oh, God is like opening the gates of heaven for anyone, uh, regardless of what they did. No, as as Catholic, um, I think there is a lot of wisdom in this idea of. Um, purgatory that sometimes we have we carry so many scars that that needs a, a time of healing even though i know that time itself is a is a weird concept when you're talking about eternal life by the way i have to tell you i'm currently walking in between this blooming heather that surrounds me on this small path in uh in the clearing um in between the, the woods and it is absolutely gorgeous it's all purple tiny little purple flowers the sun is hitting them uh, and so you have this this purple glow um, on my path I, in fact I'm going to take just a picture in case in case you want to know what this looks like it's hard because this I'm the sun is ahead of me so it's uh, you get this uh, this this overblown picture uh, it's very difficult to, to capture the, the colors with this iPhone X. Um, actually, if I walk in the shadows, it's much easier to um, to get to, to see the purple color. Let me just take a picture. I'll post this uh, on Discord. In case you want to see what this looks like. Anyway, so uh, the, the the liturgy being kind of objective oftentimes helps to also be a bit more... Realistic, instead of kind of (laughs) all of a sudden pretending that the person who who died was all good. This is something I I learned when I was doing my internship uh, at the end of my studies in seminary, and uh, I remember that um, I I I assisted the priest who accompanied me for a funeral, and afterwards, when we were evaluating, I told him "I, I. I just found the homily so kind of theoretical and you didn't say anything about the, the person. There was no, no, no personal content in your homily. Why? And he said, you know, it's because I couldn't say anything good about that person. <laughs> that, that was, there was not much good about this guy. And, uh, and so I, uh, that sometimes happens and this is why I always preach about... Faith and about what Jesus says, and I focus on what the the church teaches about death and about um, facing God and about eternal life and about the importance of prayer for the deceased. We we don't pray for those who will go straight to heaven. They don't need our prayers. When we pray for our deceased, of course, I think emotionally it's because we want to um, kind of remember the dead, But if you look at it from a faith perspective, we pray for the dead, for those who are still healing from their scars, those who are in purgatory. And our prayers are supposed to help them to open up 100% to God, which equals being in heaven. And so uh, this is also why we say Masses for the Dead. It's not some kind of just remembrance ritual even though I think in the experience of people, that is often why they ask priests or you know, to, uh, to celebrate mass for a certain person, to the intention of a certain person. But, but if you look at it theologically, we are praying for those who are in purgatory, and when we celebrate mass for someone who, who died, we, we ask God that the sacrifice of His son and the love that Jesus ex- expressed and gave back to his father by giving his life, that that love will, will be able to heal the people that are still unable to fully open to, to God's love. So, um, that, and I always remembered this, that, that you can never, from the outside, you can never fully judge a situation, nor can you judge the people and the way they grieve and what's going on because you don't have the full picture. You always have to be very careful to embellish the life or only focus on the positive because you don't know what happened in the lives of that person or in the lives of the people that that person lived with. So I often was thinking about what would I do if my father would die? Um, And what would that funeral look like? But never had I expected this situation to be so different from what I imagined as a possible scenario. And that I would be in the situation where I would be kept at a distance from the whole process. Now this whole introduction is leading to me having to tell you that my father died yesterday. Um, I'm recording this on September the 7th. He died in the morning of September 6th. And the reason I want to bring this up is because this whole process has been so different from what I expected. And at the same time, I've learned so much about about myself, about my upbringing, about the relationship that my dad had with the people around him, including with the members of his own family. and maybe I'm sharing this because um, I hope it, it helps you to see and also to validate your, maybe your own experiences in situations like these that every type of grief, every reaction to the death of a loved one or maybe a not-so-loved one is valid. And that there is something I think very wrong with this saying that you can't speak ill of the death dead. This is a this is not a Christian saying, but this is something that we many of us uphold. And and it's often in, in a religious context combined with honor your father and mother, honor your parents. And that can sometimes make us anxious when we realize that, well. I don't really feel what I am supposed to feel. <laughs> what, what society or, or, or the faithful or the church kind of supposes me to, uh, to, to say, to do, to pray, to feel. Um, what if you feel different? And let me make that more personal. Uh, when I heard that my father died, I didn't feel sad. Um, I felt actually very, um, very calm. Um, And my reaction was, well, that was, the day is here. (laughs) That we knew was going to to come at one point. Um, But I don't feel sad. And and that's okay. Let me tell you a little bit more why. Um, i don 't feel sadness uh, after that conversation that I had with my dad um, he did go to the hospital and um, had he lost his his first his um, uh, part of his leg and so he actually ended up in a in a wheelchair um, but the surgery and especially the uh, how do you say that when they put when they put him down that had such an impact on his brain that for months he's been in this delirium where he didn't know who he was or where he was and when he came out of that he had lost a lot of his mental capacity and it was obvious after a while that he was suffering from uh, progressive dementia and it ended up he ended up in a closed um Uh, part of a a care home um, and couldn't live with my mom anymore. This is also the time that the pandemic struck. And as a result, all these institutions, these care homes were closed. And uh, I remember these very dramatic situations where someone would die of COVID and uh, the family wasn't even able or allowed to be at the funeral. Uh, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for people if you can't be at the funeral of a relative of a or a father or a mother even because of COVID restrictions. But my dad, I think, caught COVID once, but nothing nothing serious. Um, but the 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 thing was, uh, in that same time. Uh, I also started to more and more realize that the relationship that I thought I had with my parents, in fact, was very different from the way I perceived it. I always felt like, oh, you know what, I have had a very normal uh, youth and normal upbringing and uh, my parents did a good job. And more and more, I started to realize that a lot of the struggles uh, in my life are, in fact, a result of the way in which my parents have um, Sorry, have acted oh <laughs> my watch is thinking that i'm giving instructions. I was just checking the time um, there's a mountain biker here in the woods <laughs> on this path it's a it's a beautiful day i 'm glad it's not that hot yet but um, and i 'm not the only one who went through this process. Um, uh, as children, I think we all had uh, have incurred much more trauma in our youth than we realize, because you can't really um, compare it. You can't. Co- you don't know what is normal and how normal parents behave. I did see the the the, the differences with with parents of my friends, and but. It's only gradually that I started to realize that um, there were aspects of my parents' behavior that were toxic. And when it comes to my father, um, he was, in my experience, mostly the absentee, the, the one who was always working, the one who would never have a heart-to-heart conversation with his kids, someone who I think struggled a lot with his own emotions and maybe experiences but he tried to suppress them by drinking by anger by with humor He had so many coping mechanisms but ultimately (laughs) and i've said this before oftentimes hurt people can hurt people can hurt other people if you don't take your responsibility and and seek help for the issues that you struggle with, the damage is not only done to yourself, but can also um, touch other people in your vicinity. And I've gone through uh, quite a process that I didn't want to share. Um, in, I mean, I've, I've hinted at this in the walk from time to time. At, uh, mostly I was focusing on the things that I learned in this process. You know, who am I really? And which the, some of the, the the ways in which I talk to myself, and the burden that I often suffer from, which is self-inflicted, is a result of some of the behavior um, of my parents. And there was this one eye-opening moment where uh, I was talking with a friend of mine, and. Uh, uh, th- th- uh, he, I did it. I did a bit of a, like a survey, which was meant as a kind of a pre-diagnosis. Uh, if you, if you, want to know if you're, you have uh, indications that you're on the spectrum. Like I was like, I have a number of things that do remind me of ADHD, um, which, by the way, is, is, is my my brother is diagnosed with that. So, it's not unlikely that I also could suffer from that or. Uh, maybe mild forms of autism. Uh, anyway, so I went through this test, and turns out, and of course, this is just an online test, so it's not, it's not official, um, but it is. It can be used as a maybe, a, like a first uh, indicating I- indicator that you can that, that can you, then you can then explore <laughs> what the test actually gives as a result with someone who is a professional um, uh, th- therapist. So I go through this test, and it turns out, according to this test, that I'm actually relatively um, in the in the middle of things. So no clear indications that I have uh, ADHD or or autism. Or, or but there was this one aspect that was so clear, um, and it showed a peak in the in the graph. And that was that I had trouble with emotional attachment and with friendships. And I was like, what? <laughs> because I never realized, uh, and, I, and I actually didn't think I, I had trouble connecting with people. Otherwise, why would I be in the business of recording podcasts and being constantly on social media? I mean, I, why would I have um, emotional problems? Or attachment problems. But then I was thinking back. That made me really look back at my own youth. And and I started to wonder well, why is it that I had no friends? Or almost no friends? I only usually had one or two. Whereas the rest of the class, they they had tons of friends. Why was I always so in the background? I never dared to speak up. I was always the bullied. I always kind of claimed a lot of my, my problems on the bullies, but bullies are just reacting to something they perceive in their victims. So, a certain weakness. Uh, and I think in my case th- there's actually a lot of validity to this emotional attachment problem. Um, and then I was, of course, also exploring, well, why, why is that? And um, in in conversations that I had with uh, people close to me, I was more and more discovering that uh, my parents played, uh, unbeknownst to them probably, I mean, no one chooses to be a bad parent. And of course, I know also that being a parent is very difficult. But at the same time, there are certain, certain boundaries to how you can mess up, right? You also, as a parent, no matter how much emotional... Uh, baggage you have or traumas you struggle yourself with, you still have your own free will and your own responsibility to do the best you can, given the, your situation. So it doesn't... Uh, someone who suffers from uh, from trauma cannot justify him or herself. Well, this is something that sometimes happens in confession when people... Uh, they don't really confess, but they, they start blaming everyone except themselves for everything that they did to them, and that is why and I always explain. Well, you know, that's that's not really the issue right here. It's like, what what can you, could could you have done in this situation that you didn't do, and what are the mistakes that you made when it comes to your own responsibility, your own moral responsibility? Anyway, so the more I start to explore, the more I realized that especially the absent nature of my father, the fact that he was never available to us, um, that he didn't really seem to care that much Um, and of course he will have had his moment but he didn't express it very much Um, that that has played definitely a role in my own uh, emotional development and then added to that there's a whole much more complicated issue with my mother who also um, I think um, has had a tremendous impact and Uh, traumatic impact on on, uh, my life and that of my siblings. But uh, I cannot speak for them, of course, so I'll speak about myself. And I think the realization of the fact that, well, actually my youth wasn't that normal and that the behavior of my parents, to a certain extent, was also abnormal and damaging um, has helped me tremendously to to heal from that and to grow and more and more I and this is something I have shared with you in the past where I've started to explore and sometimes that nose it noj what's the word <laughs> sometimes I may have bored you with it how much I was exploring the same things over and over again but these feelings of guilt and not being good enough, etc., etc., leading to workaholism and perfectionism, and then perfectionist paralysis, etc., all that always came back to some of the damaging behavior that, um, unfortunately, is the responsibility of my parents. So, with all this, um, I've have had I've taken. Uh, quite a bit of distance from my parents in the past few years, and that was extremely difficult, but necessary necessary to protect myself to um, to to heal um, and also to avoid further damage. now, with my father, of course, that was a little bit easier in the sense that he was in a care facility and was suffering from uh, gradually more and more severe dementia. Um, so there's not much to talk about there. And um, and I also knew that he was taken good care of. But I, I felt I have to process the things that I now know he has done and the way he behaved. And my father had two two faces, we had two personas. He could be an incredibly entertaining, kind friendly humorous person warm towards others and then he could he could completely flip the switch when uh, that wasn't necessary anymore and so uh, we we've seen the other side that was violent and angry and stressed and uh, and uh, emotionally distant and so for people who don't know him uh, who don't know that side of him hello uh, it's it's, uh, it's hard to fathom they they see they have a certain perception of my dad which is so different from the other side that is there and that was so hurtful and so traumatic I wanted to keep a little bit of distance from these people that are walking by because they are walking at the same speed and I don't want them to kind of listen in on the conversation <laughs> But um, uh, so anyway, the, uh, this, was, this, this made it all very complicated for me to go visit my dad because it, it's, it was still so fresh, this realization, and uh, it's, it, it wasn't pretty in, in, in a sense that I realized more and more, you know, he did have a responsibility in this. And not just towards me, but also towards other people that he didn 't take, and he caused a lot of hurt and i 'm still struggling with that, and i 've learned to validate that and to tell myself it 's okay because I, I was very good at gaslighting myself and accusing myself i 'm not a good priest i 'm not a good son. Uh, honor your father and your mother, etc, etc. It would be this ongoing like accusation as if I was standing in front of a judge and (laughs) that person would read all the sentences to me of my my own. But I know that that that's part of what the trauma caused. And so more and more I've started to just accept the way I feel and that for me it was emotionally impossible in this phase of my life to connect with my parents. And so I stayed at a distance. Um, Of course my My dad uh, was not that aware of that i mean he he said from time to time that he would like to see me then i 'm thinking, you know what for twenty years, he only came to visit me maybe once or twice. Why is it that, as children, we are supposed to <laughs> to contact our parents every single week? You know there are people that are talking to their parents every single day, but is it is it does it go two ways? I realize now it never went two ways. Uh, as always, this one way. You're a child, so thou shalt give us the attention that we need. With my mother, I don't think that she understood at all. Still doesn't understand why I made that choice to um, stay at a distance. And now she is keeping me away from the whole process. Um, I I... I don't. I, the only thing I know is that uh, there will be a funeral this Tuesday in the afternoon. Uh, it's unclear who is going to lead the ceremony. Um, my father. We cannot really visit my father because he's not been. He's not lying in state, so I, I suppose they have a closed casket. So I'll probably just go to the funeral. It's not far from here. Uh, he's being buried at a natural. How you say that... Uh, ...a graveyard... ...so it's in the middle of... ...in nature... ...and actually very close to Arnhem... ...so I, I can go there by bike... ...it's very ironic... ...because he's going to be... ...buried so close to home... ...at least so close to my home... Um, ...but that's it... ...there's no other contact... Um, ...and... and uh, it's, it's, ...it feels very awkward... ...but at the same time... ...and so as I mentioned... ...at the beginning of this... ...this podcast... Um, ...I don't feel guilty... So he died actually in, um, in his sleep. He had been suffering from lung cancer for a couple of months, and he was quickly deterior- his situation was quickly deteriorating. And so yesterday morning he he died in a very calmly. He he didn't ha- need um, he wasn't on pain medication as far as I know. He didn't need oxygen. I've seen so many worse cases. So. I think for him it's actually it's been a very very um calm way of dying uh without drama um but i I feel like well it is um <laughs> this this was this was supposed to happen at one point. I never stopped praying for my parents, obviously as you can imagine but Praying for someone is 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 the only way in which I know how to be close to them without exposing myself to whatever uh, could trigger more more hurt um, and and that's fine, and I just accept that my dad is no longer there. I also acknowledge that a lot of who I am is because of what he what he passed on to me the the, his talent for storytelling, his humor, um, his, his, I don't know, he's got, he had this, this knack for, for getting people enthusiastic about things and making them feel like they came up with these ideas, etc. Uh, a lot of that is part of me, even his interests, you know, his fascination for Celtic music and culture and um, for Scotland and Ireland and Brittany. Yeah, that's now also part of me, but at the same time, I'm nothing like him in other regards, nothing. And I wouldn't want to be like him. And I've worked so hard to eradicate a number of behaviors that I had copied from my parents. And I tried to be someone else. I try to be myself and to um, not perpetuate uh, the trauma. To the people around me, and to not hurt anyone, uh, so that that's th- th- that process is, is all positive to a certain extent. Um, would I have wished that it were, 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 was different? Sure, but there is no multiverse. As long as far as I as far as I know, this is my life. This is my situation, and it's valid. And everybody will grieve in a different way. My mom will have a different process and she is she will have to work through things on her own Uh, that's not my responsibility and the same is true for my siblings and for my father's brother and sisters they too will each have their own experience with my dad and their own perception of who he is and was Um, but that's not my responsibility (laughs) too so I, I just leave it as it is so, th- to, to summarize, um, what I'm learning from this process is um, that I, I think I have made the right decision, despite what my inner voices are telling me. Oh, you, sh- you should have done this, you should have done that. But no, um, it's complicated. And it's okay if things are complicated to feel what you feel, and it's valid it's it's I cannot j- even judge myself, let alone judge someone else's process in this, and so we'll just we'll just take it as it is, and what i my responsibility is to continue to pray for my father's soul, and which is what I will do, and i 've always done um, and I will continue to pray for my mother and I pray for my siblings, and I pray for for you for for the people that i actually really consider as just as much part of my family as my real family um but the rest you know it's there's no use in 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 pretending that i should feel this or should react like this i've seen it many times there there's so many different ways of grieving there's so many different situations you barely ever know the full picture And so be careful with the way you look at yourself and you look at other people in in complicated situations like this. That would be my advice. And that's what I want to share with you on this walk. Now, if you're a patron of mine, uh, stick around because um, I'm continuing my walk. But to those of you that are listening to the walk on the public feed, know that there is a premium version of my podcast available to my patrons as a thank you for their for their support and if you would like to join that community and help me to reach out and i don't know do my <laughs> do, do my work and in, in the sense of trying to help you walk your walk through life and walk through faith eventually then um take a look at patreon.com slash father roderick and i i would love it to be to have to count you among my my supporters. Um, so (laughs) see you next week.